0: The Eighth Circuit Network. We make things, put them in your brain.
1: Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to this episode of Funk Radio, your favorite podcast for funk soul and all those funka hits. Uh, As I was just telling Mr. Kyle, I just woke up from a nap, so that probably did not make sense.
0: Was it a cat nap?
1: Sort of. (laughs) This is your host, Peter.
0: And this is your host, Kyle.
1: And once again, we're doing a five-minute funk, which means we spend only a few minutes talking about a uh, more specific topic, and we haven't done one of these in a while. We've been doing a lot of the the longer-format episodes um, lately, so we want to do another one of these, just to take a little bit of a breather for you and for us, because it's fun.
0: Yeah, we came across this interesting article that we thought we would like to share with our funky listeners, because... It's a subject that we talked a little bit about before on many different levels regarding how current musicians don't need record labels as much as musicians back in the heyday of Motown and Stax in the 60s and 70s needed record labels. Mm -hmm. It's particularly interesting because it draws a juxtaposition between labels of the 60s and 70s as these sort of powerhouses of creativity that formulated a brand for themselves and formulated a, a specific sound iconic to that label and that name as opposed to record levels nowadays that put a lot of their time and effort elsewhere mainly due to the proliferation of digital music mediums mm-hmm. and people recognizing the artists far more than the labels. So they right. put a lot more of their time and money in marketing the individual artists themselves.
1: Rather than, hey, here's another Motown artist Exactly. It's not just another artist in the Motown catalog. Exactly. This article talks a bit about Motown because right, I think they're pretty much the, the ubiquitous uh, example of a of record a li- label
0: of a label with a brand. Yeah,
1: exactly. And how and it also talks about how it's almost like a community as well um, for these artists because it's just a whole basically lifestyle and experience for these artists. Um, how they all are kind of co I would I guess I would say codependent on each other. Mm-hmm. And for the, the success of the the label itself, so that's pretty interesting. You don't really, you really don't see that anymore,
0: yeah. At all. I
1: think the the age of the the record label has passed, mm-hmm. um, at least in the way that we've seen it before. You know, they very well could be more popular again in the future, but probably. I mean, I, I assume in a different way. I, I can't imagine it really coming back. Yeah. In, uh, in it seems
0: way. that even if record labels are kind of going away another thing that's going away that was even prominent later on in like the 90s and even early 2000s is not so much record labels but like these record label heads Mm. that sometimes became as big as the artists themselves like for example Rick Rubin he Mm. produced like every great artist from like the 70s to the 90s all the way to now and even people like him are kind of losing losing traction, I guess, in the public eye because Mm. people are so much less focused on how the music is produced, who it's produced by, and just simply who it's performed by. Mm -hmm. Even despite all of that, it's still kind of a a new best foot forward for music because so many artists are now having to support themselves, collaborate with each other, Mm -hmm. whereas that infrastructure was normally set up through their label. Right. But now, because the label is taking more of a back seat, these artists are having to support themselves and really kind of teach each other, as opposed to being taught by these labels, how to perform, how to market themselves, mm-hmm. how to create a brand for themselves individually.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was starting to read this article, it was talking about, oh, uh, you know, artists used to be big on market labels, and then now they're more independent. It's something we've kind of already known. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. But I found it kind of interesting how late, kind of later... Later down, it was talking more about how the community aspect of the record label has kind of shifted from all being in one label, to that's not necessarily even that; just being if they know each other or they, you know they very could will. It's, it's, uh, bra- it's
0: be, branching out into more of a genre-specific community.
1: Yeah, and it's not necessarily um, that they're helping each other because they quote unquote have to, like they probably did in Motema. Mm-hmm. It's because they want to, and they you know they appreciate that they share a similar sound. And that they're all—they all rely on each other to help each other out. For example, I guess Old Crow, Mumford and Sons, Edward Sharpe and the Magnetic Zeros went on this concert tour to, all together. Uh, mm-hmm. They did like six concerts across the country, and I thought that was pretty cool because they all, I guess, have this same folk-type music style that they share. So they figured, well, let's all—you know—let's all tour together. And I think in the end, that really helps them all exponentially because you get fans of at least one of them. You know, they get to see their band that they like, but also they could experience these other bands as well Mm -hmm. uh, in a live fashion. I think that's cool. And then I think they probably made, you know, more money and fame through that series of concerts than than they would have individually.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because back in the days Motown and such, artists would do these sort of group tours of multiple artists, and that kind of died out a lot in the 80s and 90s and even now. And it seems like just now, as you were saying, that's starting to come back, where artists are gravitating towards each other due to a similar sound, a similar influence, mm-hmm. a similar just general taste in music, and using that similarity to kind of fuel and create their own sort of soup not I wouldn't say super groups, but like collaborative tours yeah. that gives fans of say one band or one artist a way to experience other artists in that genre and actually see them live and it's it helps them kinda of co promote each other.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like a music festival almost in yeah, a mini yeah. package. Yeah, uh, one, kind of like that.
0: one record label that I guess is one of the few record labels out there still kind of doing its own branding that does do that a lot is one we talked about before, Daptone Records. Mm, yeah, they often have these big circuit tours where they have multiple artists from their label on a, you know, on the tour together. Mm-hmm. And they're one of the few labels out there that's kind of still has the architecture of Motown, where they bring in artists that are a little bit more inexperienced. And kind of train them in the way of music production, music writing, mm-hmm. and still kind of create a moat—I wouldn't say moton, but a signature sound for their label.
1: Yeah, well, they're all, all of their artists are very um, like soul revivalist type. Yeah, exactly. music, So it's kind of a cool combination that yeah, that their architecture is kind of in that that style of the of the older record labels, but then also their their musical style is that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, something we were just talking about a second ago, how artists of a similar genre are touring together. When I was searching around for news and stuff on uh, articles, I saw that Tower of Power and War are still touring together. I guess they're going to be in Maui soon. Ooh. And that's a similar but slightly different case, because they're pretty similar, I would say, in a way, um, genre-wise, but they're not necessarily doing it because you know they're new and they're independent, but it's because they're old and probably not you know recording... Too much anymore. they I think they're using their joint audience of the kind of an older generation who rem- remembers them, uh, that can experience and enjoy them both together, kind of like we did when we saw them last summer. So they're, I guess they're kind of taking advantage of that same model, yeah, uh, yeah. in a way.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of the older artists like that end up joining those group tours. In a way, to co promote each other because they're from a similar era or a similar genre or whatever, mm-hmm. and they figure kind of strength in numbers because maybe their popularity has fallen a bit since their heyday. Right. So.
1: Yeah, and I imagine it would be harder, you know, to get venues and stuff, you know, exactly. the older you get.
0: If it's just one, you know, if it's just Earthwind and Fire, it's probably harder to get a good sized venue than if it was like Earthwind and Fire and War and I don't know who else is around even. <laughs> right. Uh, cool in the gang. I don't
1: know. Yeah, exactly. I think venues like to have the multi-group performances, especially with with that older stuff. Yeah, because because uh, you get more bang for your buck. And yeah,
0: and if if someone you know sees the billing and it's like they like one artist, you know, when you have three artists listed, that's more people yeah. you're reaching out to, I suppose.
1: And usually, you know, they're not charging a whole lot more for those concerts than just for one. Not really. Artists. So I mean, that I noticed. They they can usually get plenty of people to go to see. At least one or two of them that, that, they, that they like, but then the, from the the audience perspective, you know, you don't have to pay much more to see you know a few different groups cool, at once. Cool. So it's that, so good stuff, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same thing with with these newer bands too.
0: So yeah, that was I guess just a little bit about this topic that we've discussed before, but we're kind of just went a little more in depth, yeah, and kind of relating it back to the old architecture of the giants that you know Motown, Stax, Atlantic mm-hmm. Records, that those kind of deals compared to. Music being much more interlaced and collaborative, and yet also much bigger than it ever was before.
1: Yeah, I'm enjoying seeing the shift in the industry. Yeah, it,
0: the more power that can go back to the artists and away from these monolithic record labels that, you know, back in the day of Motown and Stacks, they used to have the same goals as the artists, but now, you know, with the whole digital rights management and the digitizing of music and all that, yeah. It seems like sometimes their entire goal is just preventing people from getting their music free. Right. So now that the power is kind of shifting back towards the artists themselves Mm -hmm. and they're allowed to make more executive decisions for themselves, it's it's good.
1: Yeah, I mean, even back in the day, you know, there was obviously some cases. I remember, you know, doing research on Motown, for example, and how you know, an artist like Marvin Gaye or someone re- would record a version of a song, and then Barry Gordy, the CEO, would say, "No, we don't want to release that for whatever reason." He didn't want to do it, and then it would, you know, get released some number of years later, and then it would become even more popular. So the executives don't always know the right answers.
0: Yeah, I don't always know what's best and what's going to be popular with the public.
1: Right. And one last thing I'm going to say is that it is hard for for musical artists to make a living. Yeah. Whether or not they're on a label, but I think it's better. To not be because at least you can make those kind of decisions on your own rather than having the label take a bunch of your money and also not giving you complete artistic freedom
0: mm-hmm, exactly
1: so I mean if you're kind of on your own it's it's what you make of it you know you could work really hard and make good music and I think you know you'll probably do okay at least hopefully mm-hmm. and especially when you're working with other people I think it's going to be a lot easier as yeah we were definitely about exactly good stuff. for sure Well, thanks for listening to to this short episode of Funk Radio. I think for our next one, we're going to bring back another long episode.
0: This has been a 14-minute funk.
1: (laughs) That's true. If you enjoyed listening to us and have listened to our past episodes, and there are several of them, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes by searching Funk Radio. And that's pretty much it. We hope you listen to us next time. Yay. This has been your host, Peter.
0: And this has been your host, Kyle.
1: Have a happy holiday.
0: Have a holy jolly holiday. <laughs> it's the best time of the... I'm
1: gonna stop. I feel here. like last year, we talked about how you should be allowed to say Merry Christmas.
0: Well, this year more than other years, because Hanukkah's already over, I think. Oh, okay. I think Kwanzaa is also around the same time as Christmas. Right but I I remember on Fox News, people were like, because Hanukkah's over, people don't have to say happy holidays. We can defeat the the war on Christmas. (laughs) And save baby Jesus from damnation. (laughs) I don't know.
1: Well, we're always a fan of that on funk radio. I think, I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This has been Blasphemous, Kyle.
1: (laughs) And once again, this has been your host, Peter. Uh, We are actually going to end it now, so goodbye. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and
0: entertainment visit 8thCircuit.com